Hi everybody, welcome along to this special preview snippet of our monthly Conservations Interview podcast. Conservations of course being short for Conservative Conversations and in this episode I had the absolute privilege of speaking to someone I know as a friend. His name is Jason Winslade and in this episode he talks about and shares his experiences of being present in New York City at Ground Zero at the base of the World Trade Centre on September the 11th, 2001, that awful Tuesday morning when everything changed, not just for America, but for the whole world. And it's not just a story about someone who saw and witnessed firsthand terrorism up close and personal. It's also a profoundly beautiful story about a moment which begins a journey of conversion and redemption in his life and brings him to a place of healing and wholeness and meaning and purpose in his life that he never probably imagined he would find before that. So there's a whole lot wrapped up in this one, and it's a really special episode. If you want to hear the full conversation, this is only just a preview snippet, but if you want to hear the full one hour and 18 minute episode, all you have to do is go to patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia, the link is in today's show notes, and become a $5 monthly patron. Our $5 monthly patrons get access to all of our patrons-only content, which includes these conservation interview episodes each month and also our regular weekly, that's twice a week, patrons-only podcast episodes on culture and current affairs. It's definitely really good value for money. So to become a patron, as I said, go to patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia or the link that is in today's show notes can be used and you can now access all of those episodes, those patrons-only episodes, directly on your Spotify app now. So it's nice and easy, too, for listening as well. So do that at patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. In the meantime, enjoy this free preview snippet of this month's episode of Conservations. Welcome to Conservations, the podcast which got its name by literally combining the words conservative and conversations, which is exactly what happens on this show every month. Each episode, we host a conversation with at least one other guest where we go in-depth on a topic or hear about their experiences on this journey we all share together called life. The aim of this show is to foster and promote dialogue which cultivates goodness, truth and beauty and in doing so unpacks the richness of the authentic conservative tradition. My hope is that you'll find these conservative conversations intellectually engaging and enriching and that they will draw you ever more deeply into an authentic, truly flourishing and more meaningfully lived human experience. In this month's episode, we're going to be talking with Jason Winslade, who lives in Canterbury with his wife Claret and their six children. Jason previously had a corporate career before hearing the call to ordained ministry as a Protestant pastor. He has been pastoring a Reformed Baptist congregation in Christchurch for the last 14 years, and when he's not busy with pastoral responsibilities, he and Claret are home educating their six kids. And in this episode, we're going to be hearing Jason's personal story of being present at Ground Zero in New York on September the 11th, 2001, as the 9-11 terrorist attacks unfolded immediately above and around him. But this isn't just a personal account of surviving one of the most harrowing and deadly terror attacks in US history, an event which claimed 2,993 lives and injured almost 9,000 others. 
it's also a powerful story of the path to conversion and redemption for a young man who discovered in the horror and fear unfolding around him outside the World Trade Center on that warm September morning that there was more to life than career and a hedonistic search for self-fulfillment. And that being ready for death meant a journey into the much grander, transcendent and truly sacred vision of reality that Christianity offers to the world. So having said all of that, let's have this profoundly important conservative conversation with Jason Winslade. Jason, thank you so much for being here to have this conversation. Uh, it's it's awesome for a couple of reasons. Number one is because it's just an event that was so central to your life, I know, and mm-hmm. sort of I'm looking forward to sort of introducing our listeners to that aspect of who you are. Secondly, because I consider you someone who's a friend and it's always good to have a dialogue with someone you're a bit more comfortable mm-hmm. with. And um, and I think obviously the timing, It's we're in September uh, it is the anniversary of the September 11 attacks and uh, very close to when we're recording now, only a few weeks away. And uh, so it seemed appropriate to talk about this. So let's start right back at the very beginning before we even get into the events of that particular day because you were there when the planes hit those towers. But what were you actually doing? This Kiwi lad, you're 23? Yep. You're in New York. What, what is a 23-year-old Jason Winslade doing in New York? Well, first of all, I just want to say that, um, note that you've actually given away my age. Um, if anyone wants to do the math, um, so don't get out your calculators. Never ask a lady his age. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I mean, I was, you know, Kiwi, you know, born and bred. I studied at Massey, graduated there. I was working for a, an investment bank, share brokerage company. And was that your qualification you studied in and went to? Correct. So I was in, I, yeah, I studied IT and finance at yeah. uni and then got straight into an investment bank and share brokerage company um, in my very early 20s mm-hmm. uh, down in Wellington. And then not soon, uh, not too long after that, I went over to the States. And I guess the motivation behind that was really to get, you know, a, a bigger job, better job. And and certainly um, the financial district of Manhattan yeah. um, was certainly a, one, of the, one of the main places to go. So I was going to ask you, was this like the, I don't know, I guess the 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 painter who wants to go to Venice and study painting or the 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 um, the person who wants to study medicine at Harvard you know is is this the financial district where you feel this is the this is the mecca of your profession it, it really was yeah and I guess my thinking back then you know my my motivations weren't particularly pure it was <laughs> yeah. um it was greed it was prestige yeah. um and and certainly you could get a lot further far ahead uh, in your career and financially um, working in Manhattan. Did you um did you ever watch uh, Gordon Gecko? Greed is good. Did you Wall Street? Was that did you ever watch that original film? Or was that I, I, <laughs> not I, quite I, that? I think I think I was. I think I may have watched it after. You know, but yeah. I haven't seen. I didn't see that before. <laughs> That's so funny because I remember when that that was a big thing. You know, and it was like this sort of elite Nietzschean sort of strong man who just took whatever finances they want from whoever the weak were around them, and it was all business. And you you know you're either a powerful player or a sucker who doesn't deserve to be in there. It was really awful, wasn't it, really, that, yeah. that barbaric world? Yeah. Yeah, well, that was very much a reality for many who would go into that kind of industry. Mm. So 
How long had you actually been in New York at that stage? You moved over there, go to Mecca to have your big religious financial pilgrimage. <laughs> How long had you been there and working in the Manhattan financial district? Yeah, about six months at that point. Yeah, yeah so I'd been there probably a little bit longer, um, you know, doing a little bit of travel and spending time with uh, extended family members that were over there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, about six months at that time. Did you know anybody over there or did you meet people over there? Did you have friends with you? Or? Yeah, not, not right in Manhattan itself, um, but I had uh, I have relatives over there. So yeah. uh, my mother's um, from the States. She was born in the States, um, which, by the way, gave me my US citizenship ah. and passport, which meant that I was able to go and work without any um, red tape to have to get through. Oh, that, that's pretty awesome, eh? Um, and so you... You're going into work each day, and what are you doing? What what is it? What is your daily routine like when you go to work? Are you you know sell 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 buy buy buy? What what are you are you negotiating deals? What are you doing? No no. So I was I wasn't in you know in stocks or anything yeah. like that. It wasn't yeah. share market stuff. Um, I was working for an IT company, yeah. and that IT company um, it specialised in trade finance systems. Yeah. And so this is when um, back in that time they were automating the whole trade finance um, process, and so there would be software development for companies who doubt and trade finance. Um, and we would do that in house, but then we'd have to go to the actual companies themselves to go and implement um, the designs for them, basically computer systems. Uh, and there were customers all over the place. Um, so I'd spend about maybe uh, probably two thirds of the time in the office and about a third of the time outside of the office. I was a, um, I was obviously a junior, you know, yeah. 23 years old. So I was just following the seniors and, <laughs> and being um, the coffee boy and, you know, what, what have you. Uh, but many, many of our clients were in the World Trade Center. So yeah. my work um, at that time was uh, about two blocks. It was on John Street, about two blocks away from sort of larger blocks away from the World Trade Center. And, um, and, m- Many clients were in there, so it was wasn't unusual on any given week or any given day to actually be going into the World Trade Center. Yeah, I was going to ask. So you actually spent a bit of time in that building, correct? Yeah. What what, right. what was it like? Because it looks and from the outside, and I remember as a young lad, it just looked like this sort of very impressive or two monoliths, really, weren't they? To to sort of um, I guess the American financial and industrial prowess, it, it, it looked like a pretty impressive building to be in. It, it was. It was kind of the the man made version of say going through you know Arthur's Pass, for instance. You know you're going through the mountains and you see this. <laughs> you feel really small because these yeah. mountains yeah. around you are huge. Well, yeah. this is kind of like the man made version of that. You kind of look up and you feel so insignificant compared yeah. to this, these monster towers. Was it? Was there a status? Do you know within the building like the the elites had the top floors and you know you sort of worked your way. Down. Do, how, do you remember how high maybe you ever got in that building? Like, um, I got to the very top because the, you? You, you could uh, not for work wise, but you could get up from memory. Yeah. You could get right to the very top, um, and there was sort of a lookout area for people to go up, wow. spectators and so forth. So they knew that there would be interest. Um, they yeah. knew that um, tourists would want to come, yeah. and so there was allowance for that. In terms of the um, the status, prestige, or the, I don't, I wasn't privy to that. Remember, I'm, a, I'm not a, I'm a 23 year old coffee boy, so yeah. to speak. Um, I'm entry yeah. level, so I'm not. Yeah, yeah. No, I wasn't privy to any of that kind of stuff. Nobody knows your name just yet. Yeah. Um, tell me, uh, what was it like? Oh, by the way, folks, if you hear noise in the background, we've got the door open here today in my office, just a bit uh, warmer, finally in Canterbury. So there's a, there's a blind that every now and, ra- now and then rattles against the wall and there's a, a bit of the neighbour's dog you might hear as well. Um, but um, you you go to work that morning, the morning of the attacks. 
you get on the subway, do you, to go to work each day? Correct. Yeah. And, and and you get in. And did you? When did you realize something was amiss? Was it when you got off? Was it when you were coming in? You started to hear news. When's the mo- the moment? I guess you started to realize something's going on here. Yeah. Well, immediately um, getting off the subway. Really, um, I lived over in Jersey City, um, yeah. which was just across the Hudson River, and yeah. like only just across the Hudson River. I was I was you know just a stone's throw, yeah. um, and it was the accommodation over there was so much cheaper than in in yeah. Manhattan, probably like a a tenth of the price. Yeah. Uh, yet wow. I could be I could be at work through through the subway. Um, I could be at the World Trade Center uh, in less than five minutes from where I live. Wow. So I was very close. Even though I was officially living in New Jersey, yeah. I worked down in lower lower um, Manhattan. There. How so, long did that take you to get in each day? Oh, uh, maybe. Well, to, to my my last on, on my commute to work. The last, the stop where I'd get off was basically in the base in the basement of the World Trade Center. Wow. So that was my place where I'd get off. Um, I'd then come up to ground level, and I'd walk several blocks down to John's, John Street, and that's where my work work was. So you could be there in what 10, 15 minutes from home, or oh, you yeah, got some, on the subway. Sometimes, sometimes even less. Yeah. Wow. So this, you're pretty close. And so you, when do you realize something's amiss? Yeah. So on that on that morning, um, it's it funny. Um, I'd actually I was I was taking a slower morning. We were on kind of glide time as a yeah. work as work. A lot, lot of the corporates were like that. You you could come in a bit later if you wanted to, finish a bit later if you wanted to as well. Yeah. Um, I was actually a little bit later that morning. So it must have been I, I can't remember what time, but it was somewhere between eight forty five nine o'clock. And basically, when when the doors opened to the subway. Um, that's immediately I knew something wasn't right because I, there were officials and I, I, I don't recall for some reason that there were officials that were wearing official um, uh, uniforms of some sort, not military, but some maybe security or something. Yeah, yeah. They were basically down there and shouting at everyone as soon as the doors opened to get upstairs, get upstairs as fast as you can, go, go, go. Oh, like get out of the building. Get out of the building. And yeah. they just, and and that's all, that's all we knew at that point. So, so and I guess this is amazing, isn't it? Because we don't we we really take this for granted today. The age of cell phones and social media, people probably would have known before the train had even stopped. Now, mm-hmm. but but you get out and you're in this sort of shock and awe moment. And had the first plane hit at that stage? Correct. Yep. So the yeah. first one had had, had gone. Into but you the didn't plane. know that. We I knew that I didn't know it was a plane at first. I I actually when I got to the up, up to ground level and looked yeah. out, um, I could see you know huge fire up really quite high yeah. um, and was just observing that at that point. What, what, what does that look like? Like, like it's you, you could actually see, like, I guess, smoke and flames and everything. Oh, yeah. You could see yeah. you could, there was lots of smoke and you could actually see flames um, as well. Wow. And, and it looked, you could see it was actually spreading quite a bit as well. And I remember thinking to myself, well, this is New York City, you know. Um, this is yeah. th- there's a fire. It doesn't look good, but hey, um, New York City. There'll there'll be a, someone will yeah. be able to take care of it. Like it didn't it didn't feel initially like it was something that was way out of control, um, even though it was quite significant. Yeah, it's interesting. I was going to ask you that because it, 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 I guess it, I guess the gravity of it must slowly sink in. Well, yeah, and I, I think for me the gravity started to sink in when I was looking up, and then when I started to see people jumping out of the buildings. Oh, at wow. that point, I think. So you actually saw that, correct? Yeah. Wow. Um, and so, and multiple, multiple people coming, you know, jumping out. At that point, when I started to see, I saw, I could see people waving, you know, and I think you see that on the, yeah. the video recordings, people waving from the buildings. But then, when I actually started to see people jump, and just that, just it was a, it was a long way up too. Yeah. I, I don't even think that some of the videos get, do it justice. Like you're watching a person, a human being flipping around and around in circles, yeah. flying down through the air. And it's not a quick process. You know, I can't no. remember how many seconds, but it was 
still a number of seconds that you're watching this person fall down to their death. And I think at that point, I realized actually this is this is not just a, a fire that can, someone can take care of. There's some serious casualties that are happening because of it. Yeah, I remember reading something about this some years ago because I've heard people give these woefully inadequate sort of um, attempts at sort of trying to make moral justifications around why they thought, you know, taking your own life would be okay. And they often compare to the World Trade Center. They can they talk about euthanasia, for example, and they go back to that incident. But apparently the psychology of it is that people, when they do that, they reckon the majority aren't actually taking their own lives. Mm. What they're doing is they climb out to the very edge away from the fire, they climb as far as they can, and then what happens is the, the intensity of the fire, it's just an escapable at that point. You know the fire's mm. coming for you. Mm-hmm. And they literally engage in this totally irrational but in another sense it sort of kind of makes sense process where they think well I've got nothing left to lose maybe if I jump I could survive sort of thing mm-hmm. it's like it's not like I want to end it they think mm. I've got no I'm getting away from the fire yeah. and they just go as far as they can which is off the edge of the building literally yeah I, I agree it's hard to put yourself in that position and sort of think if you had another 10 minutes before the flames kind of got to you yeah. that you would jump ahead of time you you would think that people yeah. are at the very end and they said you know what I'm either get, I'm 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 literally getting burnt here. Yeah. Um. I to to alleviate the burning, I'm going to have to eject yeah. myself out of this yeah. out of this building. Yeah. It's it's man, it's crazy, eh? But you so you you see the fire and then you're looking up and you you are there before the second plane. You, you see the second plane coming. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So I don't I can't remember how long I was there just looking up. I mean, people were looking out. It was it was it was it was just a it was horrible. It was a horror, th- you know, like but in real life looking up and I, I still remember during that time, I remember hearing kind of big explosions in the background. Yeah. And I remember just thinking to myself, what is that? You know, yeah. there's something echoing through the streets and I didn't really it didn't really dawn on me too much at the time. I just thought, well, wow, you know, I don't know what that is, but I was too fixated on people jumping out of the building and yeah. and the fire and, and the fire expanding as well. But I remember watching um, one that was actually really quite close to me where I was. I was literally just across the just across the road. So there's only a, a little street that was separating me from the world trade at that point. And and just watching um, a person go and come all the way down and basically when they hit hit the bottom, I heard the explosion. Oh my god! And, and I realized wow. at that point, this explosion, um, this sound of the explosion that was sort of echoing through the smaller streets of um, Lower Manhattan. There, these were actually people dropping and hitting the ground. And as soon as I, I realized that, all of a sudden I could hear explosions happening oh, very, very frequently, out. like just going off one after another after another. And I remember thinking at that point, these are these are lives that are being lost with every explosion did, that we hear right now. Did that ever haunt you afterwards? Did you did you, did you ever come back to that moment and you know in the days afterwards because I, I imagine it's, there's nothing like that sort of awful mm. I mean no one wants to have that sort of PTSD moment. It just no. You know? I, well, I mean, you know, I don't know if you we want to talk about, you know, matters of faith following that, but I remember not being a a Christian, not not having yeah. faith, but I remember saying, you know, audibly actually out loud, I said God do something, not loud, but wow. enough just to, to look up there. And I remember just, I think at that point, and I realized how many people were dying, um, just said, God do something. And so there was, yeah, yeah for me at the time, I, I don't know if there was, I, I don't know how much I thought about that afterwards in terms of the people who actually died, but it did get me at a later stage following the event, 
in the months that followed really got me thinking about, you know, matters of um, yeah. eternity. It got me thinking about life and death and what's beyond the grave. It did get me thinking about that at the later stage. We'll, we'll, we'll come and talk, we'll come back and talk about that because I think that's an important part of the story as well that even out, out of this great darkness comes hope mm-hmm. and redemption in a sense. Um, but uh, yeah, wow. So you you you're looking up, you're hearing these explosions. You realise mm-hmm. that's what this is because, like, I, a lot of people don't appreciate this. I know, for example, there was a Catholic priest who was actually um, administering like last rites and blessings to firemen going into the buildings, mm-hmm. and he was killed by a falling body wow. that just fell on top of him. And and the, so the danger of that in and of itself is very real. Yeah. And then you you're in this awful situation, and then you you look up and you see plane number two. Yeah, that's right. So I see just out the corner of my eye. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this special preview snippet from our latest episode of Conservations. If you want to hear the full one hour and 18 minute discussion that I had with Jason, you can do that by becoming a $5 monthly patron at patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. The link is in today's show notes. Not only will you get access to this full episode, but you will also get access every single week to our patrons-only episodes of the Dispatches podcast, which engage with culture and current affairs issues twice a week. It's absolutely great value for money. So go to patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. The link is in today's show notes. In the meantime, don't forget, live by goodness, truth and beauty, not by lies. And I will see you on next month's episode of Conservations for another one of our conservative conversations with a new and interesting guest. Nobody move. Everything will be okay. If you try to make any move, you'll danger yourself and the airplane. Just stay quiet. Nobody move, please. We are going back to the airport. Don't try to make any stupid moves. It's not answering. Somebody's stabbed in business class. And um, I think there's mates that we can't breathe. I don't know. I think we're getting hijacked. Anybody know what that smoke is in lower Manhattan? I'm sorry, Sega. A lot of smoke in lower Manhattan. A lot of smoke in lower Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Out of the uh, top of the World Trade Center building, a major fire. Hey, can you look out your window right now? Yeah. Can you can you see God about 4,000 feet, about five east of the airport right now? Looks like he's. Yeah, I see him. Do you see God? Look, is he descending for the building also? He's descending really quick too. Yeah. Well, that's like 500 feet now. He just dropped 800 feet in like a, like one one sweep. That's that's another situation. Another one just hit the building. Wow. Wow. Another one just hit it hard. Another one just hit the world side. The whole building just uh, came apart. Holy smokes. You got United 93? United 93. Stop the shot. Descended. What's that? I just saying it looked like you descended there. United 93, verify 350. United 93, Cleveland. Go ahead, Frankie. Do you have United 93 south of the shark? We hear some funny noises. We're trying to get him. Do you okay. have him? No. What is that doing right here? I got the piece down. Keep remaining sitting. We have the ball board. United 93, have you got information on that yet? Yeah, he's down. He's down? Yes. When did he land? Because we he, have he, he, did, he did not land. Oh, he's down? Yes, yeah, somewhere up northeast of Camp David. It's explosion now, raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way. It was on purpose. You saw a yes, plane? Yes, I just saw a plane go into the building. Why do you say that was definitely on purpose? It's because it just, it just flew straight in.